Welcome to Vets Beyond the Uniform, a weekly podcast that focuses on helping veterans successfully find and integrate into new careers after leaving the military service. Listen in as our host and guest experts share key insights on the successful programs helping veterans to enter and thrive in the civilian workforce. For more information after the program, please visit us at VetsBeyondTheUniform.com. Let's get started. Hello, and welcome to the Vets Beyond the Uniform podcast. I am Mally Mancia, and joining me today from Vets Beyond the Uniform, I have Paul Savalani and Dave Beadle. On today's show, Paul and Dave will be talking with Tony Teravainen, CEO and co-founder of STEP. Welcome, everyone. Thank you, Mally. Great to be here, Mally. Welcome, Tony. Uh, thank you very much for the invitation. I appreciate the opportunity to share. Not a problem. So in the interest of sharing, what we'd like to do, Tony, is start this off with uh, you telling us a little bit about yourself, um, your, your service in the military, and, uh, and your transition experience. And then we'll talk a little bit about how that led to what you're doing now at STEP. Okay. Um, well, my military experience started the day I was born. I was born on Duluth <laughs> Air Force Base, uh, Minnesota, which I believe now is a low-security prison. Somebody told me that. But, uh, yeah, my dad, my dad joined the Air Force. Uh, he enlisted. I guess he pulled a low draft number and uh, decided it would be better to pick the Air Force instead of being letting it, leaving it up to the, uh, the draft board to decide where he went. So, uh, yeah, off he went, left Brooklyn, and uh, started running around the country on his various escapades, and he met my mom in Wichita, Kansas, and she was, I think she was 18 or 19 at the time, and within two years, they had two kids, and and he was shipping off to Okinawa for 18 months, and um, that was kind of it. We were off and running, and various duty stations across the United States and we did two tours in Europe and he was Air Force so it's interesting in that when you live on these giant Air Force bases everything you do is on the Air Force base even when we were living stateside we never really left the Air Force base too much we lived on military housing our school was on base the stores were on base um, and we would take trips and travel and, and drive around and wherever we were uh, but most of our life was really with other Air Force people so um, he retired from the military in Virginia, and I ended up finishing high school. Um, I did uh, almost a semester at college, and then I realized I was very out of place. And looking back on it now, I see that a lot of the same trouble that our transitioning veterans have now when they get out of the military were the same challenges I was actually facing when I got to college. It was kind of a new environment. I felt like I didn't belong. I didn't fit. And one of the ways I talk about transitioning out of the military, it's, it's kind of like moving to another English-speaking country. You kind of get everything, and you can get around. You can, you can make it work, but you're just, not, you're just not hip with the culture. You just don't get kind of the finer things that, that are going on. You just, you're kind of a square. Um, and I felt that way in college, and it, it just didn't work. I lasted, like I said, almost a semester, and my dad gave me a number – phone number of a friend of his who happened to be a Navy recruiter. And I went down there and 
And um, I actually, he said, what do you want to do? I said, I don't know. You got a catalog or something? And it's just like <laughs> the dumbest, the dumbest thing I could have ever done was just like roll into this office, ask to see the senior chief Jones, say my dad, my dad told me to come see it. He's like, who's your dad? And I told him and he just laughed. And he told one of his first classes, one of his E6s to kind of take care of me. And I went through this catalog and I saw they had electricians. And I was amazed. And he looked at me like I was an idiot. He goes, yeah, we have electricity in the Navy. <laughs> like, I don't know what you need to do. And I said, well, I've been an electrician now for five or six years. So I'll be ahead of the group. And uh, went back and took a little test. And I guess I did pretty well on it. And I qualified for the nuclear power program. So from there, they, uh, they were taking pretty good care of me. And we talked about what I could do. And at the end, I kind of summarized it. And I said, uh, I said let me get this straight. I can be on a submarine. You're going to teach me how to run a nuclear reactor. You're going to give me a place to sleep before Christmas when I essentially go homeless because they kicked me out of the dorms. And you're going to pay me for all this. And he says, yeah. I said, sign me up. And that was it. True to their word, I was on, a, uh, I was on the train to boot camp on Christmas Eve and, uh, and showed up at boot camp and, and had, a, had a great time. It, uh, it felt good to kind of be back in that, in that military vibe. I didn't know exactly what I was doing, and obviously I didn't know much about the Navy, but you just kind of get it. Um, I did through, went through nuclear power school, the nuclear power school program, and, uh, and got stationed back in a submarine out of Norfolk, and then did well enough to kind of get my pick of schools, and I picked a uh, nuclear planner, so a project manager on a... Um, on the submarine tenders, like a repair facility for other submarines. That got me out to San Diego. And kind of while I was in the military, I had some nagging health issues. And when I got here to San Diego, the guy's, the guy's like, let's figure this out. So he finally did figure it out. And they, they figured out what it was, and he like instantly wanted to, um, to, to kick me out of the Navy. And I was wow. like, wait, what? And it was just, it was just a huge shocker that these two things could be related. It's like, yeah, I want to be healthy, but, but at the same time, you can't take this away from me. And so it was like, a, it wasn't like a tease, but it was a taste of what could happen and what was going to happen. And, and I, I really made a deal, um, not necessarily a deal with the devil, but it was like, I'll do anything to stay in. I said, I won't, I won't go on sea trials. I won't go out on the boats. I won't go out on the ship. I, I won't do any hot testing on the reactors. We won't do any of this stuff. How about if, if I don't do this, this, and this, and this, can I still... And I just stay and do my job. And he just looks at me. He's like, yeah, maybe for another 18 months. I'm like, that's all I need. That's all I need. And, uh, and that was it. And then I was just like happy again. And then sure enough, those 18 months were over and it was time to, to, you know, to get ready for my next duty tour. And they're like, no way you're going back to another submarine. And that was it. And it was a slow train wreck of a, a process of a medical retirement. Um, and and kind of in there losing the military was mixed up with um it's the situation that i had was kind of medical illness and uh condition and and it was essentially they deemed it terminal and they said if you did this big surgery you might get another five years and i'm just like this doesn't even make sense um and i i finally just backed out of the surgery um and then my paperwork came through and then i was out and i was retired and it was just like like what just happened in my life? And it was, I'm sitting on my front porch with this giant stack of paperwork 
not knowing anything that it, it really says. Um, I, I called to check in on my last day, and the guy says, yeah, your paperwork came through. You don't need to, you don't need to come in anymore. You don't need to come in tomorrow. I'm like, great, where do you want me to go? And there's like the silence. <laughs> he literally says, I don't care where you go. Just don't come here. And that was like, wow. boom. And that was like oh, the finality wow. in my mind. It's like, wait, I'm, I'm like, I, am I, because I've never really worried about my own, you know, medical care. I only ever had worried about um, taking care of myself in that way. And now it's like, wait, I'm like sick. I got no job. I got no family out here. And uh, I was just like, I was just amazed. And it took me probably a couple of days till I really sat down and figured out I need I just need to get a job. I need to figure this transition out. And I said, I got to go somewhere. Um, and I said, you know, there's bugs in California. Or excuse me, there's bugs in Virginia, and there's no bugs in California. I said, there's humidity in Virginia, and there's no humidity in California. I think I'll stay in California. That was like, that was my process of elimination, where to go. So I decided I was going to stay here. I got into, somehow I got into some, a CAP class, a transition assistance class, that the military does as a civilian. Um, and there was a recruiter there that, um, uh, that was pushing jobs for manufacturing up at Sony. Uh, they were expanding their line and they wanted to hire, I don't know, a couple hundred maintenance workers or something. And this other submarine uh, nuke that was in the back of the room, I was talking to him. And the guy said, hey, this guy's legit. Um, he tried to hire me, but we're moving to Texas. So I went and grabbed the recruiter. And I said, you tried to hire that guy, right? And he says, yeah. I said, well, I did what he did. And the recruiter looked at me and said, so you can fix robots? And I'm thinking to myself, I don't, I don't know anything about robots. And I looked at him dead in the eye and I said, yes, I can. <laughs> and uh, he, uh, yeah, he, I mean, he, he said, uh, give me a little card. He says, be at this location in two weeks to take a test like a test on robot? He says, no, nah, it's just basic electrical and mechanical theory. I'm like, well, I can do that. So I was up there, took a test. He called me a couple weeks later and said, uh, I'm going to offer you, uh, I got a job offer for you. And I said, well, I've been through these transition classes. I know we're supposed to negotiate. And he says, Tony, I got 50 openings and 200 people on the list. <laughs> <laughs> says, Negotiation just ended. Yeah, there it is. Go for it. Like, Give me your best shot. How long do I have? He says, about five more seconds. <laughs> and that was it. Twelve dollars and ten cents an hour. Um, five forty-eight at night to five forty-eight in the morning. What was it Thursday, Friday, and Saturday? Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and every other Sunday night. I said I'll take it. But I had a job. Um, Welcome back to the Navy. Yeah, you know what? It was interesting. It was the best place for me because a lot of the folks they were picking up to man this line were people from the technical trades in the military. Um, both, you know, mostly Marine Corps and Navy, because that's what we have around here in San Diego. And um, and we kind of all transitioned out together in the, over the course of years. I mean, we would show up at work and we'd, we'd clock in at night, and we'd go into our space, and it was it was like our watch session. You know, it was this was our area, and my room was, I don't know, about a hundred thousand square feet, and I had these two giant ovens and all this other processing equipment. My job was to keep the red lights off, the green lights on, and the production flowing. And I had to find the tech manuals. I had to figure out the tools. I had to figure out how to make it work. And it was, it was very much like the military. And the guy in the room to the right of me and the guy in the room to the left of me and the guy across the hall, was all, they were all like me. 
so we we created a sem a, enough of a militaristic atmosphere that made us all comfortable. We had our you know our toolboxes, our tech manuals, and a mission, and we were off and running. And over the next couple of years, we all you know kind of got onto our own path. I, I after a couple of years, I said like this is a tough life, obviously. And because we weren't working three or four days a week, we were all working five or six days a week because that's what we did in the military. That's what we're used to. And now we're making, you know, decent money at it. So I started going to school. Um, other people would, you know, do different things. And I don't know, some, I mean, everybody's life started kind of transitioning out as they became stable on the outside. Um, and then my lasted there 12 years, which is odd. Uh, most veterans, as we know, don't, don't, last a couple of years at their first job. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I didn't do the same thing for 12 years. I mean, every time I got a degree, um, I would get, I would apply for a promotion. I'd get it. Um, by the time I got my first degree and got promoted into a management position or, or applied for and got accepted, I had progressed up through the maintenance ranks. So I was working in different areas. I was doing different things. I had different varying levels of responsibilities. So it definitely shifted, but I think when we get out of the military, we have, we have no idea, you know, what it's like on the outside. And it's like, if I move to Canada, I got, I got nothing. So it's like, I just, I just need to find that good job and then let me live in this community for a while. And I was stationed here in San Diego for three years. I lived, uh, I had to live on a ship for like the first, I don't know, six months or a year or something. And then the next two years we lived in North park and I worked at sub base. So, there's like basically one road I can negotiate in there. It takes me like 20 minutes to drive in and out. And when I finally got out and got to offer this job in Rancho Bernardo, I'm like, is that, is that a commutable distance? I'm like, how far is that? I had to like get a map. This is obviously before phone. And I'm like, is this in LA? Like, where is this? You know, it's like, I, I had no idea. It's like, I'd been living here for three years and didn't know anything off this beaten track that I just traveled all the time. And, you know, maybe once or twice to the beach, but I, you know, I wouldn't need a map for that. So even if you live in a town and you're in that military, the military just takes so much from you uh, that, that you, just don't, you just don't engage with it. So um, everybody needs to take that time to learn where they're at. And then you know, maybe you don't know what your skills are. I mean, you don't have a network. You don't know how to network. You don't know how to do a resume. You don't have out-of-military experience. And sometimes just a decent job um, – is going to give you that time you need to develop all those other things. I mean, you need to look, you need like to make that effort. If, if you just, you know, clock in and clock out every day and let the world continue to spin by you, you're not going to be able to, um, you know, kind of harness the rest of your life and start to grab that thing and steer it in a direction you want to go. Um, Cause obviously, you know, it's like riding a life is kind of like riding a bull. Um, it's, uh, here's another analogy like a lily pad through the swamp of life and you just kind of jump from lily pad to lily pad and some sink and some stay up and you kind of want to go that way but i kind of got to go this way first and you know nothing's ever a straight line but you you have to get a focus and you have to start working towards it and that first job is key and paramount in that because because you start to become self-sufficient and then you start to engage in the community and you can start to grow so i was really blessed to be able to get that job quick um, be able to kind of break through that fog of the military and the fog of, uh, of all the issues I had. I mean, I didn't, I didn't handle it the best. I didn't uh, kind of walked away from the military. Uh, as I said earlier in the pre-show, the military becomes like this 
old girlfriend that you hate and you don't want to talk to, but at night you still think about and there's still parts of it you miss because your life is wrapped up in there. For me, you know, the first 26 years of my life was formed by military people um, in military environments, and it's, it's a very big piece. But for 15 years after the military, I didn't do anything with it at all. I just kind of got away from it. And then, you know, eventually I found a volunteer opportunity um, to kind of give back. And I, I saw these military families receiving help, and, I, and I, I could connect with them very easy. I mean, it was like, it's just like I went back in time and saw my family. I saw my friends. I saw me. And that was, that was my appeal. Um, to connecting people like how do you how do you connect with these people? I'm like these are my people. This is me. I'm like this this is this is where I come from. So it's still after all those years, it was still a very important piece of my life, and I I made the decision to give up my corporate um, path and get into this nonprofit world, serving military families and bringing not only that that youthfulness of my knowledge of the military, but you know those 17 years of college degrees and professional certifications and all the training I've got, I brought all that into it and said, how can I, how can I create a program that can, can add some permanent subsidence and permanent improvement and help these military families? Um, in, in my case, it was financial self-sufficiency, kind of get them out of these financial traps and this financial uh, hamster wheel that they're on and get them control of that part of their life. Yeah. Now, Tony, I know from you and I, when we've talked in the past, um, you didn't start out in the nonprofit world at STEP. So give us, a, give us a little backstory about how STEP actually came about and what you're doing today. Yeah, sure. So once I got out, I did 12 years, like I said, at Sony. And while I was at Sony, I did a bunch of school. And, and every time I finished a degree, I got promoted. So I ended up being, uh, we closed the factory down, and I was the chief maintenance engineer. So I was in charge of the maintenance department and part of the engineering team and all the equipment essentially and I don't know if we had a million square feet or something like that. I had also started some other businesses on the side, um, some entrepreneurial ventures uh, with different family members. And once, once uh, we closed the factory, I decided to do that stuff. So, so for five or six years, I ran my own businesses um, here in San Diego. And then, um, and then I went to work for Booz Allen Hamilton. So I started doing consulting work. Um, strategy and process improvement. While I was at Booz Allen, I got that volunteer opportunity to um, start working with an agency that supported military families. And I, I went there as a volunteer to help them develop their strategy. And that was my day job at Booz. So it was easy for me to translate that information to military families because, you know, I understood it so well. Um, but I had to learn about the nonprofit side of it, which I found interesting. And... Uh, I stayed on with the board to help them execute the strategy, and pretty soon they asked me to join the board. And I did that for about two or three years. And I really got engaged with it, and it, and it felt like meaningful work. It was obviously volunteer work. It was all kind of a side gig. Um, and then after about three years, the national, the parent, the parent company of, the, of that nonprofit decided they wanted to change kind of the mission away from military families and more towards wounded warrior care and transitional living and they wanted to change the business model where they didn't have local offices. They had one main office in Texas that would pull all the strings and, and the local offices would just turn into like the field offices. And I didn't think that was the best thing for the military families in our community. 
uh, and some of our board members didn't either. So we essentially voted to resign our charter, walk away from that national agency and become completely independent. And that was in 2012, and we created STEP with a focus um, specifically on one aspect of what we were doing was this financial crisis. Military families had come to us in a financial crisis. They were in a, facing an eviction. They were, their car was being repossessed. They were out of food. Their electricity was getting turned off. And we had a program that would help them through um, those situations. It was kind of a little more Band-Aid. It was kind of more just a little more throw money at the problem and help them through, which is great, and those things are needed. But what I wanted was to find a way to make some permanent change. You know, with that booze down, like I said, I was a process improvement guy. I was a project management guy. I was a change management guy. And this all was in my head about um, just to what end are we handing out money? To what end are we just helping people get by today? Since there's a lot of those places around in town, we focused step on moving people from this crisis to a lifetime of financial self-sufficiency. So what we created was a, a behavioral intervention program um, where we work with families to help them change those financial behaviors. And it really comes down to behaviors. Um, there's lots of financial. I mean, I know the strife military families have. I know there's low pay. I know all this stuff. But you know what? We can all make do with what we have if we have help adjusting to that. And a lot of folks, they all know they need a budget. They all know they need to spend less money than they have. But most of these families I see just don't see themselves able to get across the chasm. They think that they have a bucket of square pegs and the, round, the world is asking for, you know, the world's got round holes. It just doesn't work for them. And that's really where we come alongside them. Our financial counselors are actually professional social workers first. And their job is to use their social work, practice their craft to help each one of these military family members get their arms around their situation help them develop a plan to get themselves out of it. We provide some financial stimulus if we need to, no problem. Um, but I mean, we're at a place now where 90% of the families, a year after they finish our program, are in a better position, financial position. So that, that self-sufficiency has grabbed hold, and they're, they're driving their own bus on their, with their financial behaviors. And right now we're at over 6,000 families here across Southern California doing it. We've granted... For two and a half million dollars, or two million dollars, just towards turning people's electricity back on, paying their rent, getting their cars out of repo, um, those types of things, bridging them along so they can get on their feet. Um, and I think the best metric that we really have is everybody that goes through our program knows they can come back through it and get more free money, um, but only only three percent do. And the 3% that come through, they're not there because they want to be back. They just got hit with another tsunami of issues, which really set them back. And while they were still kind of young in their recovery stage, um, they realized they needed a little more help. They needed a little more stimulus. Um, and we come alongside them again and help them back up again. So that's what we're doing, kind of how we created it. Hey, Tony, this is Paul. With regards, and I think what you're doing is fantastic. Um, how do you make contact with the veterans and the active duty personnel that need this help? I mean, um, you know, I, I'm an ex uh, command master chief and, and, you know, I've had plenty of people in my career. They have that financial living from pay to paycheck to paycheck. Sometimes they never make it. 
Uh, you're getting calls from the exchange because checks are written or overwritten or check, bad checks are written because they needed food, so they're going to write the check to get the food. How does your program make contact with these military families and veterans that need your help? That's a great question because that really turned out to be one of the bigger challenges. Um, and it's the challenge in any type of business. I mean, we run our – I bring a lot of business experience, entrepreneurial experience, professional business experience and stuff. I had to learn about the nonprofit side. What I find a lot of times is folks have that nonprofit side. They don't have the business side. Um, so, um, so I had a different set of challenges I had to overcome. And what I learned was um, – People aren't lining up at the door to, to, I mean, most people don't want to just go get a handout. Um, most people are very scared to kind of reach out. And I had a lot of situations in my life, you know, through, through my life where I was financially strapped. Um, and a lot of those experiences also kind of settled with me. And so what I learned was financial crisis is usually one of the most intimate things intimate problems a person can have. And a lot of times they're not even going to talk to their spouse about a financial issue. We see this time and time again. The one half doesn't know what the issues that they're living in. So who's just going to reach out and, and talk about the most intimate things? So what we had to do is create trusted relationships. Um, as it stands now, 65% of the people that come to STEP come from a direct referral from somebody on base. So it's either a friend or coworker or somebody in military housing, their military supervisor. And then the two places they go on base for support, which is um, um, the, the, the personal financial managers, the PFMs, whether that's at Fleet and Family Services for the Navy um, or Marine Corps Community Services for the Marine Corps or Army Community Services. They all have, all the bases have good financial planners. And then the other place is uh, Navy Marine Corps Relief and or Army or Airmen's Relief Fund or Coast Guard Relief Fund, uh, a similar place, which is like a nonprofit that they go to. And we build relationships with the command. We build relationships with the communities. We build relationships with um, those uh, you know, Navy Marine Corps Reliefs, all the different offices. And we do it in a way that we make sure everybody understands how we're different from those two agencies. And we make it so there's a wrong, no wrong door policy. You can go to any one of us, and we're going to help you get to the correct place. Um, and we all kind of have, there's probably one or two clients, you know, some percentage of our clients could get what they needed from any place, but most of them, there's a best place for them, um, depending on what, what's going on in their world. And we've created that relationship where people on base uh, and military members feel comfortable saying, you know what, I'd love to help you here. The best place for you is to go to STEP. And they trust that we're going to be able to take care of them, you know, in this, in this most intimate moment. I mean, they're going, to get, they're going to lose their house. They're going to lose their car. They're going to lose their world. Um, the other 35% of the people that come to us come from direct referrals from community agencies, other nonprofits, big and small, churches, colleges, um, the county, the city, all these different resources we have to work to build these relationships with. So when somebody rolls into um, one of these other agencies, they go, whoa, this is, you know what? I know the exact person you need to see because you need immediate help. You need somebody to come wrap their arms around the situation with some one-on-one care 
and you need somebody with a checkbook um, who can who can put an end to this right now and then help you on your path. And that's that's how they find us. Okay. Uh, Follow-on question to that. We all know we've been dealing with COVID now for almost a year, and COVID has just shifted everything in, in our country, our world right now, whether it's services, whether it's needs. And we're seeing a, a number of organizations that typically can support veterans are now focusing more on food drives and, and areas of support like that. So what has COVID done for to step with regards to, have you seen an uptake in the number of clients because of COVID and have you had to change a little bit of the way you deliver services? Well, we've definitely had to change how we deliver services. And one of the things that, that I saw early in this was as the business, it's our job to react to the environment. It's our job to, the, the definition of crisis has changed for our clients. We need to go where that crisis is, the new crisis. The new crisis is not homelessness because there's an eviction moratorium. New crisis is not on, is not on moving or losing your electricity or your water because they're not allowed to be turned off. Uh, it's in bad taste to repo somebody's car. Um, so it's like these old school, I'll say, you know, old crises don't happen anymore. These are just getting pushed down the road, which is not good because this is going to be a tsunami later in, in two. Yeah, it's going to come back and hit yeah. you. It's going to hit but you the hard. The new crisis kind of went down on Maslow's even lower than one, like down at the 0.5 level. It's literally... I need to stay alive and healthy and I need to feed my kids and I got to have diapers for them. This is really what it came down to basic hygiene equipment in the house. Our shift started very early when we got a call from a ship's chaplain. He said, I got, it's like the day after the world shut down. He says, I got nine sailors on the ship that aren't allowed to leave and mom's stuck at home with the kids and there's no baby food and no diapers. Can you help? This goes back to that unique relationship we have with the military where they, they ask us for help. They trust us. And we didn't. We didn't have a process for that, and everybody was kind of looking at each other. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, all right, people, come on. This is this is the Super Bowl. This is this is day one of, of the new chapter. What do we got to do? Like, what's the old process? And we figured out quickly that we could create a new process where let's email some forms to the chaplain. Let's get them filled out on the ship. He emails them back to us. Um, we put everything on a pallet out back, and he could drive by and pick it up and deliver it to the houses. How about that? And everybody's just like, well, that works. And it was just like changing from there on. We needed new space to warehouse diapers and more food. Because if a, if a military mom gets, gets COVID, and especially you got to think back, nobody knew what was going on. It's like a lot of these folks were so scared just to leave their house. Yeah. If, if mom gets sick and there's no family, there's no community to take care of this kid, and, and, and the, the spouse, you know, the service member's spouse is deployed, where do the kids go? I mean, that's like a real fear that we saw in the eyes of these, of these, of these um, you know, people that are taking care of these kids. I, I say mothers a lot. Obviously, there's some dads in there. but um, So we started these touchless drive-thrus. And, all right, you want food? Come get it. We'll put it in your trunk. You don't have to check it. You can leave it in there for 24 hours or whatever it was of the day, 36 hours. And, and, uh, and the germs will die, and then you can get your diapers out the next day. And we started doing that, and... We're over 150,000 diapers distributed, a um, couple hundred thousand pounds of food, you know, tons of hygiene stuff. And we engage our social workers. You know, we, we put other, we get other, um, other community agencies to come out to our nonprofits to kind of hand out flyers and, and let these families know that there's all these resources. We're constantly reminding them 
um, that everybody's here to take care of you. Just you just need to come come ask, come get that support. You're not alone because there's just a lot of fear. So we're still doing those. The community still wants those types of distributions. We're starting to pick back back up on kind of these other crisis things because families are starting to understand that um, you know the day of reckoning is coming. But uh, yeah, we definitely had to shift. And we had to get ahead of it. We couldn't. We couldn't be playing catch up. There was just no way that was going to work. Yeah, especially with the with the folks you deal with, and those immediate crises are there. You have to have you have to have an immediate solution. So, so Tony, you guys have been extremely successful in San Diego. Um, obviously, the San Diego area is unique in terms of its um, concentration of military. But uh, where where else um, are you looking to provide services? Are you expanding? Yeah. Um, so like I said, we started in 2012 and our first, um, I mean, our first overall goal was like, let's answer three questions. Is, is this a needed, is this a needed service in the community? Are people going to come to us or are we just like duplicating other services we don't know about? Second question was the local military going to support us supporting their, their junior military. And then the third one was, can we do this on a publicly funded basis? Is the community going to support us? And after three years, the answer is clearly just yes. So then it was kind of shifted into a phase that we need to get um, a solid financial footing under ourselves and try to create a situation where we can have financial sustainability for the years to come and a good foundation. And then, um, you know, at that point, we're serving uh, seven counties in San Diego, uh, or excuse me, in Southern California, San Diego, Orange, L.A., Ventura, Riverside, San Bernardino, and Imperial County, uh, which was kind of an area we could drive to. I mean, it was like we didn't want to bite off too much. We're doing that. And then after um, after a few years, we added Kern County to pick up a couple more bases a little further away. Um, and then we really started looking at the next chapter. And last year, we pulled the trigger on an expansion to Washington State. So there's about 13% of our military, our entire military station here in, in Southern California in those eight counties I talked about. Uh, the state of Washington has about 7% of our military. So uh, we're able to serve another 70-something thousand, 80,000 um, military folks that live up there. And this is kind of a pilot expansion for us. They have similar cost of living issues up there. Um, it's, in, it's kind of um, it's in the same time zone for us, so it's kind of easier to do business. Uh, in the same time zone, we kind of limited the challenges we have, and the community wanted us up there. We we did a lot of surveys and talked to a lot of leaders up there, both community leaders and military leaders, and the answers kept coming back, yes, we want you, yes, we want you, yes, we want you. So, uh, yeah, we pulled the trigger on that, and we're um, we're kind of getting out of first gear now. Obviously, COVID set it back a little bit, but um, those relationships are well underway, and and we're looking to continue to serve them up there. That's fantastic. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. You don't. A lot of people don't. I don't think picture Washington as having that uh, that large of a com, uh, community of military, but there certainly is a uh, a big chunk up there. And uh, glad to see that that's that's an area you're moving to. So we're getting we're getting close to our time here, Tony. I want to make sure that uh, we get in this one last thing here. What can we do as a community? And this is all the folks who are listening to this podcast, whether we're uh, veterans, active duty, or folks that just support. How can we support? you and what step in their mission are trying to accomplish? Um, 
And well, that would be natural. Feel free to make uh, the plug. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> and the plug is the plug is varied, right? I mean, it's like we're we're community supported. There's no question about that. We couldn't do this without support of our community, and that comes through funding, direct funding, but it also comes through community engagement, and um, and it comes from volunteering. So people wanting to give of of themselves, you know, back into the community is is critical for us to be able to. Um, give the service it's like 40% of our total man hours are volunteer hours. Um, a lot of times people, uh, individuals, companies, whatever, they don't want to just jump right in and write a check. Sometimes people would rather give us a box of diapers than give us the $20. It costs for the box of diapers. It's fine. We need the diapers. You know, we, we have all these other donated goods where we build relationships with military families and communities. And, um, it's, it's important that those go. So it's, it's time, treasure, and talent for sure. So funding, yeah. volunteer time, participating with our, with our donated goods, drives, um, to support the community members and things like that. Fantastic. So if somebody did want to do that and get involved uh, with either time, talent, or treasure, what is the best way for them to reach out and touch you guys? Um, yeah, our domain name is uh, Team Step USA. We just changed that. And upgraded it so they can contact us at info at team step usa or they can go to any one of our uh social media platforms and they're all at team step usa perfect great thank you so much tony and thank you paul and dave for another wonderful show today all links and contact information for step presented on today's show will be posted in the show description as always, p- please feel free to check us out at vetsbeyondtheuniform.com. And if you have any questions, we can be reached at training at vetsbeyondtheuniform.com. Thank you for tuning in and listening, and have a wonderful day, everyone. Thank you. And thank you, Tony, for joining our show today. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity again. Bye-bye now.